This is FaithCast, weekly messages from Victory Faith in Spokane, Washington. To stay connected with Victory Faith, visit victoryfaith.org where you can submit prayer requests and praise reports, sign up to receive weekly email updates, give online, and much, much more. Consider joining us for our live stream online Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at victoryfaith.org slash live. Now, on to the message. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Love worshiping with our Victory Faith family here in the valley. We are just one big happy family. Um, it was, uh, I mean, worshiping together. It, it's just so sweet and so awesome because that, that's one of the things that unites us as family, right? You know, and it's great to worship on your own. It's great to worship at home. If you're at home online, welcome to our service. We're glad that you're with us. And it's great to worship online, but worshiping with community, there's nothing like it, right? Worshiping with people who know you and you know them and you get to lift up the name of Jesus together, even though we know what we're going through. You know, sometimes I'm worshiping and I'm looking around and I know like, oh, she lost her husband last year and there she is lifting her hands and, and crying tears of joy and, and that person's spouse is going through chemotherapy. They just lost their job, but look at them. They're here with f- peace and joy in their hearts and they are praising Jesus at the top of their lungs. There's nothing like that. That's a picture of the kingdom of heaven. That's a little piece of heaven right here on earth, isn't it? So I love worshiping with you, church. Um, You know, we're going to be wrapping up our series on 1 John today, The Light of Life, and I've had so much fun uh, listening to the other messages. We've been doing the same messages up north and uh, just getting a lot of life from it. Are you? Yeah, I've been getting a lot of life from this, and I love how the book starts so much because uh, something that I did over this last year, uh, which is... If you get to know me, you'll know I'm just a little odd. Um, So if you already suspected that, you are correct. This guy is unusual. He's a little weird. And um, I I just, so back in October or so, I decided, you know, I'm getting older. I want my mind to stay sharp as I get older. I hear that learning languages is a good way to activate new parts of your brain. So I picked Norwegian. I've been learning Norwegian for, I'm on a 150-day streak on Duolingo, and um, I don't know anybody from Norway. I don't have any specific plans to go to Norway. My grandma was Norwegian, so there's that, but I don't know if she even spoke Norwegian. Um, So yeah, but as you learn languages, there's just odd things that you say a certain way in one language that doesn't translate exactly to the other. It's called an idiomatic phrase, right? And one of those phrases that I came across in Norwegian just stopped me in my tracks. You know, you're learning how to say hello, goodbye, and can I buy something, and I'm driving to the shop, and all these uh, just mundane sentences. But then Duolingo gave me this sentence that I looked at it, and I'm like, I feel like I know what that means literally. So I typed it in, and and, uh, the Duolingo translation of the sentence was, I belong here. The sentence in Norwegian was, Jeg hører hjemme her. And to translate that directly, the word hører means to hear. And yama means to be at home. And so what it literally means is, I hear home here. And that's how they say, I belong. And I just thought, that is beautiful. 
What a beautiful way to say, I feel like I belong here because you know what? It sounds like home. And if you think about home, home has a sound, doesn't it? And you know your home's sound. You know when you're going to bed at night, you need your sounds. Because when you go stay at a hotel or somebody else's house, those sounds aren't there. And you realize, I can't go to sleep right now because I'm missing the sound of home. Well, home has a sound. And I'm hoping that today you're hearing that sound because heaven has a sound and that is the sound of our home because all of us have a heavenly father inviting us home. And I say all that because that's where John starts this letter of 1 John. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. He's saying, there is a sound that we have heard. And it was the sound of Jesus, the son of God, who was God. We have heard him. We have seen him. We have touched him. He is real. And that is the sound of where we belong. As we dive into chapter five today and wrap this book up, I just want to acknowledge that, you know, we've been in a time as a culture, as a globe of great uncertainty, right? Not just because of what's happening in Ukraine right now, but just the last few years, everything feels more and more uncertain. It's as if everything is shaking. And in the midst of that uncertainty, I've noticed even a change in language. You know, when you watch the news or read headlines, I remember when I was younger, it felt like the news was, you know, something you could just like turn on and you would like trust it and they would say something and they would show video of something that happened. And it's like, yeah, that happened. I can believe what they're saying is true and, and what they're showing me is what really happened. But the way things have unfolded in our culture, nobody's sure of anything anymore. Even the newscasters have changed how they say things. They used to say, this, here's a video and this is what happened. But now they say, well, the video appears to show that this is happening, but it's been unsubstantiated and unconfirmed. And they have to do that, right? Because we live in an era where anything can be staged or taken out of context or deep faked or just generally like presented in in a wrong way. And it's hard to trust anything. It's hard to know or be sure of anything. And The more we live in that uncertainty, the more that creeps into our soul, the more it can creep into our faith, the more it can creep into our life, the more unhealthy we are because we're just not confident or sure of anything. And anxiety and worry has a greater and greater place in our hearts. And we don't want that. When we have things happen in our personal lives where people let us down, we experience great uncertainty. Or when there's people that we look up to and we respect and admire who do things that cause us to question everything, we live in a great deal of uncertainty. So as we wrap up this book of John, I want to remind us that the Apostle John, as he wrote this, he was writing to a church who was going through a great deal of uncertainty. Their world was shaking We are not in unique times. There has been very many uncertain times throughout our history, and it's happened right from the very beginning. You see, believers in John's time had witnessed horrible atrocities driving them away from their beloved home in Jerusalem. And in the midst of ongoing persecution, they're trying to build a community, and they're trying to see the church grow, and they're seeing measures of success. But in in addition to the external opposition of persecution from Rome and and from others, there is internal 
breaking points. There are church splits. There are believers arguing about who Jesus really is. And did that really happen? You know, this, here we are 50 years after Jesus had been walking on the earth and people are asking, wait, was he really God? Or wait, maybe he was all God, but he was never really human. So they're trying to unpack and, and decide what really happened. And so there's a great deal of uncertainty in the hearts of believers. What can the apostle John teach? What can he preach to these faltering Christians in the midst of this uncertainty? He returns us to the basics. He returns us to this is what we know. This is what is true. And he instills in us a great deal of confidence. I want to put up here the highlights that I did in this book uh, because these show a, a pattern. See, everywhere that you see orange highlights, that's where John says either know or we know or this is how we know. Anywhere you see pink highlights, that's where he says this is the truth or truly or we know this to be true. And then love is up there too because it occurs a lot. And then there's some other key phrases. But, but look at that. We're going to go screen by screen as I just recap where we've been in this book. Because in chapter 1, uh, we, we get to see that um, from the beginning, G Jesus has been sharing these same foundational truths that we can be confident in. You know, the life of Jesus and what he taught had eyewitnesses who heard him, who touched him, who saw his miracles. John walked with Jesus. John worked with Jesus. John ate with Jesus. John was so close to Jesus that he leaned back on his chest and heard his heart beat. So he's saying, ah, this is real. And you can be confident that there is eyewitness testimony to who Jesus was and what he taught. And then in chapter 2, Jesus' life can have a real impact on our behavior, both, both toward God and toward each other. Because there are those who would try to take that message of Jesus and just change it a little bit. And just not, not try to teach the exact opposite, but say, oh no, no, Jesus was this, this, and this. But he wasn't that, like he said. And that's what we call antichrist. That's not the real Jesus. That's Jesus with some ingredients missing. That's not the true Jesus. And then chapter 3, we can look at our own lives and find evidence of whether we are following the real, true, bona fide, genuine Jesus. Number one, are we obeying his commands? And then number two, do we love one another? See, it's not too complicated what John is teaching, and it's not too confusing. Let's just check the evidence and make sure we're on the right track, is what he's saying. Then in chapter 4, John encourages us to test the spirits. So as people are bringing in teaching and bringing in spiritual influence, you got to test those spirits. And he gives us two powerful tests. Number one, when someone's teaching Jesus, are they saying that Jesus, the son of God, who was God, put on human flesh, came to earth, walked and taught and did miracles with us, died and rose from the dead? If so, yes, that's the real Jesus. That, that's a check mark on someone's teaching the real Jesus. Number two is their love. Is there love in this teaching? Because that, 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 this all has to be soaked in love. If we're loving one another, we can see evidence that this is the real gospel. And that is so helpful to know that we can reassure ourselves in the faith as we hear the real gospel. See, as John is doing this, he is laying the groundwork for pure and potent orthodoxy that would carry the storm-weathered church through even greater storms for centuries and centuries to come. 
That brings us to chapter five. You've been seeing these highlights of we know and this is the truth. Right back, right down to the very last few verses. I'm gonna begin at the end in verse 19. We know. He's even wrapping up with, hey, this is what we know. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the devil, the evil one. It sounds like we're fixing for a fight. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And he ends with a warning and an encouragement. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Isn't that an amazing kind of left turn at the end there. He's talking about Jesus and who we are and who he is and, and what's going on. But he gives us one practical warning. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why does he land the book that way? Because John knows the tendency of the human heart. That the thing in the midst of all this opposition that will eventually get us to dr go off track is not taking Jesus out of our lives completely. No, we'll keep him there. But there's something else that we'll give a little more time to. Something else we'll give a little more affection and attention to. Something we'll place our trust in a little bit more than Jesus. That's called an idol. He's saying, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Because if we can keep ourselves from idols, we have within us the power to destroy the works of the evil one that has the world in his grip. Which is where he starts this chapter. Verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Hey, that's our verse, church. Where do you think we got the name? Victory faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Listen, church, what John is telling us is really powerful. We're not losers. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. Because you know what I feel like most of the time? <laughs> I feel like I'm losing. It's easy to look out there at the world and feel like we're losing. It's easy to feel like the light is losing and the darkness is winning. Like good is losing and evil is winning. Like peace and joy are losing and depression and violence are winning. But John is telling us, remember, we know the end of the battle. We know the end of the story. We win. We have victory in Jesus. You know the victory that overcomes the world? It's our faith. It's not the evidence of what you see out there. It's the evidence of what's in your heart. Your faith has overcome the world. And he's not making this up. He's repeating what he heard Jesus tell him that he quoted in his other book, John 16, Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, it's going to look like you're losing. In the world, it's going to feel like you're losing. But take heart. I have overcome the world. John, so far through this book, has heavily talked about what we know and what we have evidence of. 
But now he's starting in chapter 5 to talk a lot more about what we believe and the faith that we have and the role that it plays in all of this. Notice it's not one or the other. It's not just what we know and it's not just what we believe because faith should not ignore facts. That's not faith. That can be delusion. Faith should not ignore facts. On the other hand, facts should not weaken our faith. We should be able to look and consider the facts just as Abraham did. It says in Romans, he considered his body, his 99-year-old body that should not be able to make babies with his wife's old body that should not be able to make babies. He considered the facts, but he believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Chapter 6. This is the one, talking about Jesus, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Okay, what on earth is John talking about? These three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood. We need to unpack this a little bit. Because they seem important, don't they? He's saying these three witnesses agree that everything I'm talking about is true. So he's saying like, hey, if this was a court of law and we were trying to determine what's true, these are the three witnesses. Why is this important? Well, Jesus talks about it again in John 8, 17. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So there's two witnesses. But in Deuteronomy, which Jesus is quoting, it says that let everything be established in the mouths of two or three witnesses. In other words, one witness isn't enough to substantiate something as true. Two witnesses is enough, but three is even better. John is telling us, look, we got three witnesses, and those are the spirit, the water, and the blood. Okay, still, what, what are those? <laughs> what, do, what do we mean? All right, John 15, 26, let's talk about the spirit. But when the helper comes, Jesus said, the helper being the spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Holy Spirit is that spirit, that first witness. Peter, one of Jesus' followers, affirmed this after Jesus had died and resurrected and ascended to heaven. He was on trial for preaching about Jesus, and he said this in Acts 5.32. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Not only Peter and John, but also Paul, who never met Jesus during his earthly ministry, he says this in Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, you can have never met Jesus in the flesh. You could have never seen him or heard his voice directly, but the spirit of God can bear witness to your spirit that you are indeed a child of God. You have a witness just like they had a witness. The same Holy Spirit from 2,000 years ago is right here in this room bearing witness to our hearts. Jesus is the Son of God, and you are a child of God. So the Spirit bears witness. Number two, the water. Which water? The ocean, a lake, a river? Well, one, one idea is that this is the water of Jesus' baptism. 
What happened when Jesus was baptized? Well, first of all, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had a revelation at that baptism. He said, look, there's Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the, sin of the sins of the world. This is the one I've been prophesying about. This is the one who's greater than I, who comes after me. And he is the Messiah. Not only that, but when Jesus went under the water and came back up out of the water, what happened? The Spirit descended like a dove, and then the voice of the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Those are two powerful witnesses. We have the Holy Spirit, and then through the water and the baptism, we have the voice of Father God himself saying, This is my Son. How amazing. So the Father bears witness that he truly is the Son. And then finally, the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus that takes away our sin, that lifts shame off our life, that breaks the power of addiction and oppression off of us. That blood is a witness in our lives. The fact that Jesus was flesh and blood and that he shed his blood. And he wanted to make this so tangible for us that right before he died, he gathered his believers together and he said, hey, look, here's what I want you to do. When you get together, break some bread and share some wine so that you can taste, so that you can feel, so you can remember, I really shed my blood for you. It came out on the cross and I died for your sins. So now we have three witnesses, the spirit, the water, the blood, the spirit, the father, and the son together bearing witness to the truth to us today. See, these triune witnesses involve the triune God. These witnesses are faithful and reliable. See, John was writing about this during uncertain, shaky times for the early church. After the massive persecution that they had faced, it would be easy to see Christianity disappear within 50 years after Jesus was gone. It really should have. There's no reason the church should have survived. It had everything thrown at it to make it stop. It was sink or swim for the church at this moment in history. It would only sink, though, if the church lost sight of who Jesus really was. Because if we get a distorted picture of Jesus, we will have an inaccurate picture of God. We need to fully understand exactly who Jesus is in order to know who God really is. History has proven these three witnesses to be true. Because here's what happened. 300 years after this, after a lot more persecution and the church spreading further throughout Asia, Africa, and Europe, and beyond, bishops from all of these churches that had spread out gathered in a little place called Nicaea. Bishops of different churches, from different languages, from different cultures, they came together tried, trying to decide, hey, what is it that we really believed? Now, imagine any group of men getting together in a room from any three continents, speaking any three different languages, and trying to ask them to agree on anything. The odds are not in, the fa in our favor. I mean, just look at the United Nations. Look at anything happening today. People can't agree on anything. So this is a miracle that these men came from three continents, from different cultures, from different ways that the gospel had spread, and they came back together and said, yeah, we all believe in the same God. We all believe in the same Jesus. We all believe in the same Holy Spirit. This is wild, but we can actually write a statement 
that says we agree on all of these things and we're not going to argue too hard about any of the details because of the three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood had testified to the church all over the globe. And it's that, those same three witnesses that witness to us today. This is why the council wrote the Nicene Creed. It takes everything presented in the gospel about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the church, and it distills it into the plainest language possible to help us understand what we believe. Here's what I want to do today, church. I want us to read this creed together out loud. This creed, which is 1,700 years old, which has been spoken by churches all over the globe, It's something we can read and the witnesses will say to our hearts, yeah, this is real. This is true. So if you hold to these beliefs as well, I want to invite you all to stand to your feet and we're going to just put this on the screen and we're going to read it out loud together. You ready? All right, here we go. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, you can have a seat. This creed is so beautiful. Some of the language might trip you up where it says Catholic church that was not a denomination at the time. They didn't have denominations. They hadn't had time to have denominations. Catholic just meant the universal church around the globe. This creed ties us together with Christians across nations, across cultures, across languages, and across denominations. Protestants like us, Anglicans, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, All believers from all those traditions could read this creed and agree, yes, this is the God I believe in. This is the truth that I hold to. How amazing that Jesus, for 2,000 years, has been building the same church all over the globe through all of us. 
What difference does this make in our lives today? It makes all the difference. And John gives us a powerful example in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. You can have confidence that you know the true God, the maker of the universe. You can have such confidence that you can talk to him like you would your own father and ask him anything and believe that he hears you and that his heart is for you. In your prayer life, you can put this in action. You can say, I have confidence in my father, God. I have confidence in my relationship with him because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. John goes on to talk about sin and, and how there's sin that feels like it will creep into our lives and overwhelm us and pull us back from this true Jesus. But he's saying, no, that even, even when we fail, even when we falter, we can pray for one another in our weakness. And sin does not have to lead to death because Jesus dealt with every sin on the cross. The only sin that will lead to death is the sin that you won't let Jesus deal with on the cross. There is grace, there is mercy, and there is hope. This we can know. This we can have confidence in. John encourages us. Little children, keep away from idols. Don't let anything creep into your heart that will pull you away from this powerful, true God that we've been talking about. Put your love, your attention, your trust, and your devotion on the eternal, undefeated, victorious love of Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me, church? While the whole world around us is full of greater and greater uncertainty, while everything feels like it's shaking both in your life and in the world around you. While the whole world seems like it's in the grip of evil, we can put ourselves in the grasp of the eternal, amazing, beautiful, empowering love of God. Jesus speaks to us through the three witnesses today, not because he needs everybody to, to come to some political agreement or, or he, doesn't, he doesn't need everybody to look the same or act the same. He wants everyone to know that he loves them, that he loves you. He made you. He knows you. He knows everything you've done and everywhere you've been. And even in the midst of all of that, he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to live a life of victory that overcomes the world, that everything that has tried to destroy your soul, destroy your life, and leave you hopeless, he wants you to take power over that in relationship with him. He wants you to know the light of life. 
And we want you to know life in Jesus. What is life in Jesus? Life in Jesus is shame being lifted off of your life because he has forgiven you of your sins. It's the power of addiction being broken off of your life. It means being restored to to be who God really made you to be because he made you for an amazing purpose. It means restoration in your relationship, not just with him, but with others. It means living an empowered life that is no longer a victim, but it's a victor in Jesus. And if you want to live that kind of life, it's really simple. It just takes faith. It says in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can have that relationship with God. So if you want to be saved today, if you want to believe in Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just lift your hand to let me know that you want to make that choice today, that you want to say yes to Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Thank you. I see that hand. Just take a moment. If there's anyone else, I just want to know who I'm praying with right now. Hallelujah. Well, church, I'm going to invite you all to pray with me and with those who've raised their hands. And there's nothing special or magical about these words except that we're going to connect them with the faith in our hearts that, and believe that today those who pray this for the first time are being saved. So I invite you all to say after me, Father in heaven, thank you for the light of life. Jesus, I believe that you died for me to forgive me of my sins. So I repent today. I turn away from my past and I'm turning towards you, God. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead to give me new life, to make me a new creation. So Jesus, be my Lord. I'm following you from now on. God, be my Father. I want to know you more. And Holy Spirit, be my guide. Come and fill me now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand.